Welcome to Three Hands, a special three-part podcast miniseries hosted by me, Blake Howard from One Heat Minute, where I sat down with filmmaker, writer, Gregor Jordan, who, while doing press for his latest release, Dirt Music, coming to Australian cinemas on October 8th, sat down with me for a longer discussion about the films that defined his career. First up, our episode on Two Hands. Roseburn's Alex is wandering around the sun-drenched King's Cross streets, armed with a camera. In the late 90s, Sydney's infamously sleazy night spot had attained its legendary soiled cesspool status. Walking through the cross during the day, though, is like walking over a body of a gigantic, sleeping, nocturnal beast. In the cover of darkness, the imperfections are veiled by all sorts of sordid distraction. With the sun beating down, the cockroaches have scudded into the cracks. And it has a rare, empty feeling. It's in this moment that Heath Ledger's Jimmy happens upon her. Jimmy has had one instruction for his upcoming job for Cross's footy short-wearing crime kingpin, Pando, Brian Brown. Don't be late. Alex inspires a digression. Okay. Do you remember me from last night? Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. Alex. Yeah, yeah, I know. So you're from the country, eh? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, what's it like out there? Oh, I don't know. Less buildings, <laughs> more cows. So, um, you're like a strip club guy, hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. well, no, no, I've been doing that for a while. Yeah, but, um, I've got a new job. And, uh, you could say I'm moving on. Yeah, what are you doing? I'm, um, yeah, I'm doing, um, I'm working for a guy. You know, just doing odd jobs here and there. That sort of thing. Oh, uh, right. It's like a handyman. Yeah, yeah. Hey, what about you? Got any photos? No, not really. <laughs> Hey, let me take one of you. Come on, let me take one. Look, I promise you I'm not going to run off with your camera, eh? Ledger's smile that punctuates that line is the moment. It's the moment that Australia's most dynamic, charming and downright prodigiously talented actor of our generation announced his arrival. Alex hands Jimmy the camera. Jimmy readies his stance. Jimmy asks Alex to do something. <laughs> well, you got to do something. <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> I don't know, something. Director Gregor Jordan then flexes his Hitchcock film grammar and homages rear window. The camera presses in, the aching score swells, and just like Jimmy Stewart, our Jimmy, Ledger, raises his eyes from the viewfinder to the subject in disbelief. Alex stares. Rose Byrne's alluring beauty is staggering. The exchange, mesmerizing. It's a profound potential for another life that would not have been accessed without the camera. Ledger pivots from this oozing charm to distracted and shaken. This exchange is a sustained lightning strike. Gregor Jordan's kick the fucking doors down debut is Two Hands. Here's your camera. <laughs> Two Hands, a hilariously absurd slice of life Sydney crime tale follows Jimmy, Heath Ledger, a nightclub spruik turned potential career for king of Sydney's King's Cross, Pando, played by Brian Brown. When Jimmy's first delivery fails miserably, he's relieved of 10,000 bucks of Pando's money and is forced to ditch head henchman Akko, played by David Field's 1973 XAGT Ford Falcon. With the help of his brother's old flame, Deirdre, played by Susie Porter, he lines up an armed robbery to get his hands on enough money to pay his debt and save his life. We pick up now with Gregor Jordan, the writer, director, and man behind this movie about the origins, motivations, and just how the whole thing came about. I, I guess I was very lucky in the sense that, you know, I, I got to work with some really great people and I kind of, you know, had the chance to work with Heath and, 
and Rose before their careers had really kicked off. Um, you know, like people sort of say, oh, you discovered Heath Ledger. And I go, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. He, you know, I was just lucky enough to get to work with him before he be, uh, became a huge deal. Um, so, um, but yeah, look, I mean, I guess for me, making that film was a very, you know, it was a, you know, obviously a very personal experience, but, you know, it was a, it was a great experience. Um because, you know, I'd made some short films and I'd had some sort of, I guess, interest from America to potentially, you know, go and try and make a film there. Um, but I really thought that was a bad idea and that what I should do is make a film in my hometown um, and, you know, that was in places that I saw every day and, you know, and was a story that, you know, was really sort of about me and about... Um, you know, the characters were all based on people I knew and, um, you know, and that world of the gangsters and everything was sort of part of, I guess, the zeitgeist of Sydney. Um, you know, the, all the stories of Nettie Smith and Roger Rogerson and, you know, and that whole sort of blue murder world was, um, you know, was very influential. It was in the air. Was in yeah. the air and I, I can actually remember reading Bob Bottom's book about the age tape which inspired the blue, you know, the whole thing with blue murder. Something's up, mate. You made a blue. It's right there coming. Yeah, so it's Christmas. That's them. Huh? That's them. Where? There. Sure. Yeah, no, another car. This was a stupid thing for us to do. You know, so I was, I was sort of always very interested, um, you know, in, in that as a world. But, you know, also the fact that, <clears throat> you know, there was all these seminal gangster movies being made in America and we didn't seem to really have one, you know, and the idea that our gangsters were very different from American ones, um, you know, like they were all flashy and wanting to, you know, wear um, expensive suits and have expensive jewellery and drive expensive cars, whereas our gangsters, um, you know, got around in shorts and thongs and, you know, there was something a, a lot more sort of down market and, um, you know, even though they were wealthy, they sort of played it down. And I thought that was there was something sort of very Australian about that. And it's a triple word score. So what do we got here? Two, 10, 20, 27, that's uh, 81. And I used up all my letters, that makes 131. Fuck. And so... Yeah, I guess, um, you know, for me, it was about putting, um, you know, a, a place that I was very familiar with, you know, with with a sensibility, which is very uniquely Australian and a sense of humour that I think is very uniquely Australian as well. Um, and to combine them all into a genre that, you know, I thought Australian people might like to see because, you know, they had, it hadn't really been done before. When you watch Two Hands in 2020, you're seeing a completely different city not only because it was 21 years ago but you're seeing not this international cosmopolitan finance center hub of asia you're seeing a glorified tiny town on the precipice of the olympics the the winner is sydney australia so 
it's such an amazing thing to look back on. Not only are you looking at a Sydney where four Holden Commodores in your front yard is commonplace, uh, going for a swim in your undies at Bondi Beach is something completely fine, uh, tucking in your singlet into your tracky dacks or your tank top into your tracksuit pants for our American listeners. You're seeing skullets. You're seeing radio stations that had Black Thunder used to go out and do promotions. You're seeing Sydney's monorail. May it rest in peace. And that's one thing I wanted to talk to Gregor about, about his experience coming back as an international traveller and seeing the city that he made a time capsule for. I guess, look, it, it is of a time. I mean, um, Sydney, I think, has changed quite a lot since then. Like yes. King's Cross, for instance, is pretty different. Um, Completely. And, and, and I, you know, I sort of spend a lot of time in Sydney over the years but a lot of time away as well and every time I come back I'm I'm sort of shocked to see um another thing from two hands is not there anymore um <laughs> you know like the monorail for instance is gone oh, um gone. you know I remember the the milk bar in Bondi you know which was there on the corner you know that was one that, you know that that was just this sort of institution that was always there, and then suddenly that was gone. I mean, that didn't take long to go, but you know, um, most most of the or a lot of the locations in that film aren't there anymore. So it is, Every, yeah, it the, is. In, the cross has had a facelift too, right? So that's what's yeah. great about looking at it is that that seedy underbelly King's Cross that kind of made it both famous and infamous. That a lot of different genres pulled from much later than even your even your film two hands it kind of was like the last gasp because then it's the same thing that happens in a lot of olympic cities just by you know by osmosis is everything gets cleaned up you don't have strippers mm. spruikers out the front doing those things you know different mm. politicians come through and now sort of you know 20 years later 21 years later it's um it's you know you don't you would never see those dirt bags out the front trying to get people into strip clubs anymore it's you know it's, <laughs> two hands obviously is the launch pad for two huge Australian performers. Rose Byrne, who continues to have one of the most eclectic and rich careers of any Australian performer in the world, and the dearly departed Heath Ledger. Here I got to talk to Gregor Jordan a little bit about whether he knew the magic of those stars at the time he was making the movie. You know, uh, I mean, yes, I guess is the short, the short <laughs> answer, short. but... But it, it was an interesting time in my life. It was, a, you know, um, because, look, I'd, I'd sort of created this character and written this role of this young guy who was, you know, an 18-year-old. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and I guess I need, you know, I was always very aware that I was going to be trying to find someone who was not really well-known because, you know, there's just not very many 18-year-old actors who are well-known. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I long before we actually had the film finance, I was sort of on the lookout for who might be right for this role and, you know, looking at sort of who was around. Um, and interesting, I was living in Bondi and and a lot of the a lot of my actor friends there started talking about this guy, just sort of saying, um, you know, and I'd be telling them about what I was looking for and they went, that's this you've got to see that's him he you've got to yeah you, you've got to check him out so you know what i mean there was sort of i guess a, a a kind of like a underground buzz on him you know just based upon people who knew him and had seen him act but you know just sort of 
knew about him as a as a person as well um and and so you know i I kept hearing about him and and actually i had a girlfriend at the time who went up there and did an episode of raw and she came and she came back going okay you got to check this guy out like (laughs) they're just going fuck this is you know he's something else long ago at the edge of the known world the last celtic tribes were fighting for survival Europe had fallen to the Romans, and this remote and untamed island was the final stronghold of the ancient ways. So if you're not familiar, Raw was an American fantasy adventure TV series. It starred big actors. Heath Ledger was new, but it starred Vera Farmiga in one of her first roles. It was created by Sean Cassidy and Ron Coslow, and it was actually not completely aired until the year 2000. So at this stage, it's a couple of years before his big breakout performances, but people knew that this guy was going to be a star, if nothing else. Uh, you know, and, and Raw was, you know, that was a year of, um, you know, solid work for him. Um, you know, it was a, and he was the lead in it as well. So. Yeah. It, it, it was, um, you know, so he was a pretty seasoned actor by the time, uh, or relatively speaking anyway, by the time I met him. Um, and, you know, we, I sent him the script. Um, he actually weirdly was in Los Angeles when he auditioned. Um, and, you know, we finally get this sort of scratchy videotape back, you know, of him doing an audition for the role. And it was like, it was like, oh, holy shit. Okay, just cast, let's get in, let's get in. You know, it was one of those sort of, I guess, eureka moments where, you know, where you just knew, okay, this guy's perfect for the role and he's going to be, you know, a big movie star as well. when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And and in fact, there was, you know, it was after Heath and I had sort of spent some time together and he was, um, you know, he was in Sydney and we're in pre-production and hanging out together. And there was one night where the two of us went to the Bayswater Brasserie, <clears throat> which, um, you know, because we've been walking around the cross, you know, checking it out and stuff. And we, we went into the Bayswater Brasserie to just have a drink. And at the time, you know, that was the sort of the coolest bar in the whole city. You know, it was like, you know, it was it was very kind of hip place to go. And I'll never forget walking in there. And Heath was only 18 and, and completely unknown. Like, he'd, no one knew who he was. But I just remember walking into that place and looking at people, looking at him. And, and one by one, both men and women sort of just stopped and turned and started looking at him. And, and that was... And, you know, because he just sort of had something about him that made yeah. people want to look at him. Um, and it was it was that sort of weird and intangible quality that's not even, it's sort of separate from acting ability. It's just sort of, you know, I guess it's it's star quality. And, and, and that was the moment where I went, holy shit, he's going to be a huge movie star. Because just, you'd just see how he just, people were just naturally drawn to him. And so I guess it was an exciting thing for me too, because I realised, 
you know, my movie's got a good chance of working um, because we've got, you know, a really great guy in the lead. Um, and look, you know, in terms of Rose, you know, she was just someone who came in and auditioned and, and it was, uh, you know, again, it was one of those moments where you see a lot of people coming in for a role and then one just really shines, um, you know, and stands out as sort of, you know, they've got something about them that's just really, you know, sets them apart. Um, and I guess, you know, I didn't necessarily sort of go, well, Rose is going to be a huge star, but, you know, it was, you know, pretty obvious, um, you know, and we're seeing really good actresses as well, you know, that she was, you know, that she had something special about her. So, you know, when I when her career did take off and she went and did all this amazing work all around the world, um, you know, it didn't surprise me at all. When you talk about the critical reception for Two Hands, in Australia there are only two relevant names, Margaret Pomerantz and David Stratton. At that time on The Movie Show on SBS, their reception of Australian movies was make or break. Pomerantz and Stratton gave Gregor Jordan a glowing review, and it was largely well-received in the country. But I had to ask Gregor Jordan, how did it feel once he'd made his debut? Did he feel like he'd made something magic did he feel like he'd said everything he set out to say i guess having not made another film it was hard to gauge um you know the experience based on something else because i didn't um <laughs> I hadn't done anything else but at the same time i guess you know there was sort of you know there are a few moments like like i can remember when we were on you know when we first got onto set and and the crew especially started meeting the actors um you know, we got a lot of comments about the casting um, from the crew. You know, like they'd come up with a big smile on their face going, going, man, the casting's so good. <laughs> um, and, you know, and that's credit to Christine King, our casting director. She, you know, she found, yep. mo- you know, well, all those actors and, um, you know, most of them I didn't know before. Um, I mean, you know, obviously Brian and David Field, I, I, I knew and I'd worked with both of them before. Um, but lots of lots of the other actors I hadn't. It, it, there was a sense on the set that that we'd nailed the casting. And I, and I guess that's, um, you know, a very important element of any film. You know, the, the fact, you know, the feeling that, you know, the character, uh, you know, the actors are really embo- embodying the characters that are there on the page. Sorry, D, to plant little buggers on you like this. Oh, no worries, was. Got my sister's kids here, so a couple of extras, no problem. Yeah, no one had to work, so I'm stuck with them today. <gasps> so, do you know Panda? Don't know him personally, but know who he is. I did some work for some of that crowd a few years back, but I wouldn't now, then. Why not? Panda's a fucking dead shit, man. I mean, I've heard some bad stories about him. He's all right once you deny him. Jimmy, the guy's trying to kill you? <clears throat> yeah, I know, but... Anyway, Jimmy, you know how to shoot? Yeah, yeah, I can shoot. And you're trained up? Yeah, mainly boxing. Right, Now, look, Crouch is a piece of cake. You'll have to take the security guard, but it's easy. You know, they're usually useless fat pricks. What have we got there? Hopeless, yeah. Useless fat buggers. Always fat. Anyway, gun to the throat. Keep him looking up. That way he won't see when you get his gun. Uh, don't worry about it too much, all right? I'll, I'll help you out there. But um, you get him inside, and I'll start you off. You just hold the fuckers back, and I'll go over the counter. You all right? Yeah, righto. Now, look, every now and then you're going to come across a smart ass, okay? And the trick is to act quick on him, a good hard whack. You know, belt the Christ out of the bugger. I mean, you don't want to kill him, though, but, you know, good hard thump with your shoddy butt. 
You give me a shotty. Yeah. Why, you don't like shotguns? No, yeah, shotty's all right. Um, so there was a sort of a feeling that, hey, you know, this film's got a good chance of, you know, of doing okay. Um, but look, at the same time, um, you know, to be completely honest, there, um, you know, the film or the script especially was sort of written, you know, with what I was talking about before, um, a, a real Australianness to it. Yes. Um, and, and an unapologetic Australianness um, in that, you know, we we made no attempt to water down any of the slang or any of the sort of the unique Aussie vernacular. In fact, you know, probably the opposite, we pumped it up, you know, because we sort of knew that, you know, that that would be sort of a, a, something that would flavour the film uh, for better or for worse. So, you know, to Australians, for instance, they look at it and really love it, um, you know, and I guess Kiwis as well, because we're culturally pretty similar. Now, taking down the quickest of all digressions, strangely enough, I was doing an interview with the awesome Tamara Morrison on the set of an Australian film called The Occupation a couple of years ago. I'm on set with Tamara Morrison. We're talking exclusively about the film, but if you know the man, he's a raconteur. He loves storytelling. If you've had the luxury of seeing him at a Q&A, he's just chatty Cathy. And in the middle of this conversation, he interrupts me with this. The more Australian true blue more movies like Two Hands. Remember that movie, yeah, Two Hands? Yeah, yeah. That's the best Australian movie ever made. That was way better than Priscilla, uh, Queen of the Desert <laughs> and those other quirky movies you people make over here. Um, but, you know, people from other countries, um, not so much. You know, like there's, you know, there's, I guess, a lot, you know, Americans, certain Americans enjoy it, you know, as a sort of, I guess, a genre piece. But they're not necessarily understanding the minutiae and, you know, and some of the subtle humour that Australians just, you know, get without thinking about. Um, yeah. Americans, you know, sort of stumbled over. And, and, you know, when we were screening the film in Australia, we were getting sort of riotous reactions and people just <laughs> coming out beaming and saying they loved it. But, you know, when we had the premiere at Sundance, um, it didn't really go very well, to be honest. You know, Americans, Americans just didn't quite get the movie. Um, and in fact, there's one sort of ridiculous story that I tell, um, you know, of a guy that I was working with sometime later who was a, an American line producer, um, and he asked to, you know, watch Two Hands. So I gave him a, a copy, and you know, and on Monday he kind of, you know, hands me back the copy and and says, oh, you know, yeah, cool, man, thanks, thanks for showing it. And and I went, oh, so what'd you think? And he's going, yeah, I mean, it was. Um, I mean, yeah, it was good. I, I, he goes. He said, "Look, I found it. To be honest, I, I found it really dark." And I went, "Dark? I, I, what do you mean?" And he goes, "He goes, oh man, you know, like that little kid gets hit by the car, and and I'm saying, yeah, 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 that's true. That's pretty dark." And and he's saying, and and man, he goes like, you know, the scene where the guy, you know, the bank robber, he he like he trips over and he. And he hits his head. Now, I feel uniquely qualified to talk about what makes a truly great action heist after two years of dissecting Michael Mann's masterpiece, Heat. And the heist in two hands is a goddamn delight. There may be nothing better 
Then Waza, played by Steve Lamarquin, gracelessly tumbling over the counter to unconsciousness. The time that Jordan allows us to simmer in this moment. The confusion of driver Craig, played by Kieran Darcy-Smith, as Jimmy delicately knocks on the window, simply never gets old. Maybe in 1999, the accents, the Australiana, was too much of a barrier for entry for some international audiences. But today, you can look directly at the kind of comedy that's happening in two hands and see it all through American cinema, especially with the Coen brothers. If you remember the savage hilarity in Fargo as you watch poor Jean Lundegaard running through her home draped with a shower curtain, crashing into walls like a pinball to evade a kidnappers, you'll recognise the DNA in Jimmy's attempted delivery to Sharon, Jackie Phillips. Walking through her apartment spluttering, Sharon attempts to curtail a stubborn, persistent cough with a cigarette. (coughs) Inhaling seconds before Jimmy arrives, the puff is debilitating. Floundering, suffocating emphysema has never been so funny. Instead of distress, you're cackling and howling at Jimmy's predicament. I guess the world has changed now and that, you know, people and and I guess Americans, you know, and and Netflix are a big part of this. You know, they've, you know, you can switch on your television and watch watch a TV show or a movie from anywhere in the world now. And so, you know, people are much more au fait to other cultures and, you know, and especially the you know, the idiosyncrasies and the senses of humour from other cultures. Um, so that, you know, maybe now two hands would sort of play, probably play differently um, to an international audience, you know, because it's it's Australian, it's, you know, overt Australianness would be seen as a plus rather than what the fuck. At the conclusion of two hands, the simmering karmic power is passed to Helen, Marielle McClory. After Akko's sociopathic callousness inflicting the death of Pete, Evan Sheaves, the universe had received a debt that required payment. With righteous flames in her eyes, this displaced child walks into the den of one of Sydney's most ruthless criminals and stamps him and his cronies out of existence. It's powerful, cathartic, essential. That is not actually where we leave the characters, though. Jimmy and Alex are buying tickets to get out of Sydney. The clerk asks a question for the type of payment, results in Alex chuckling at Jimmy's confusion. <laughs> yeah, cash. Thanks. <laughs> what? What are you smiling about? Did you think you could pay with bananas or something? The final words from oh, Heath Ledger's Australian cinematic debut Ah, oh. I've never been on an airplane before. While we don't need to see Jimmy and Alex take flight, it's clear as we reflect on the success of Rose Byrne, Heath Ledger and Gregor Jordan's careers that they were the one with the tickets. Two hands is memento. 
They don't make them like this anymore. They can't. Next time on Three Hands, we talk the two Jokers, Joaquin Phoenix, Heath Ledger, Buffalo Soldiers, Ned Kelly. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you on another episode very soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.